that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And no nation which expects to be the leader of other nations can expect to stay behind. With the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. You nervous? <laughs> See, there's opinions in the room, if you didn't know. There's opinions, even on folks that are watching online and are like, what's he going to say? Because there's folks who think politics should not be in the church. And I think there's some folks that think the church should only be about politics. And there's this divisiveness. So we thought, if it's divisive, let's go there for four weeks. And so that's what we're doing. And everyone's involved in this. To the fellows at RCMU, what's up? To everybody east and west, we're all talking politics for four weeks. <laughs> and uh, if you're offended by it, good. Uh, we're going to have fun. I mean, this is going to be something that we press in. And, and, and we have gone all over to make this a conversation that we all can press in on. Let me give you, so you, you saw the, well, what we call the bumper that goes before the sermon helps us focus. And we saw, oh, that's, that's pretty uh, footage that was shot that, that we bought. Or no, we shot that because we went to D.C. and we made it out. We got out of, okay. So we went there and we interviewed our elected officials from South Dakota. So I'm going to show you these interviews throughout the series. And some of you are like, so why would you only go to certain? We went to the people who were already elected, for those of you who are quick to get at that. And we pressed them. We asked them, what's your platform? And we asked them, what do they think about God? Why do they do what they do? And all that kind of stuff. And so you're going to get to enjoy that. And, and we're going to have a good, honest conversation. But, but let me define for us. Like when we say platform, we've named the series that. What does that mean? And in fact, in a, in a muddy kind of election season, I don't know if you know if there's an election going on, but the, in this muddy election season, uh, let me help you understand what we mean by platform. Uh, the declared principles and objectives, when you think about a, a candidate or anyone just kind of saying, here's what I'm all about, here's my principles that I stand on, my objectives of a person or a group. I mean, if, if you watch enough news or have enough political conversations, the platform, or what a person is all about comes up, right? So we went at this. And I do want you thinking about what you're all about. We'll go there in a little bit. But we first want to put on the screen, put in front of you, Senator Thune. So whether you voted for him or not, or like him or not, I asked him some questions, and they gave us time, which was pretty cool. Asked him what he thought about God. Does God even affect you and all that kind of stuff. So sit back, press in, and whether you're biased or not, like him or not, let's press into this conversation with Senator Thune. Take a look. 
Why do, why do you do what you do? Why are you in this? Why are you not in South Dakota doing something different? Uh, why, what drives you? What fuels you? Kind of that kind of question. Well, it'd be a lot more fun to be in South Dakota. <laughs> I always tell people Washington is a great place to visit. You just wouldn't want to live here. I like my wide open space. I love being back home, but this is where the work is. And um, you know, early on in life, I had uh, an exposure to somebody in public life that kind of inspired me. And um, I actually got a chance to work out here. I had finished uh, graduate school at the University of South Dakota, and I got an offer to come out here and work as a staffer. So I did that. My wife and I had just gotten married. We were out here for about four and a half years. And when we moved back to South Dakota, uh, kind of concluded that the timing and op opportunity were ever right that I might want to run for office myself. But it was really, had it not been for the experience of having worked out here, and those were just open doors that, op that got opened along the way. And I always tell people that, you know, I didn't train to do this. Um, I didn't aspire growing up to do this, you know. It's not, my family was not a political family. I grew up in a little town in western South Dakota. But, um, you know, sometimes uh, when those doors open, uh, you know, push on through and see what's on the other side. Sometimes uh, God's opening a door and, and um, clearly there was a path for us that led us to where we are. That's cool. So you mentioned God, so does your faith affect anything that you do or does it have any part of what, what you do here in D.C.? Well, your faith affects everything you do. Yeah, it should. And, um, you know, for sure, I think it when it comes to uh, the votes that I make, the way that I conduct myself, um, the faith is, is what helps shape your values, those principles that you bring to the job, and it's really the foundation for everything. So yeah, it's, it's an indispensable part of, I think, any job, any vocation, whatever sphere of life you're involved in, um, you know, we're, we're supposed to be out there being salt and light. But what's been some of the biggest, most meaningful moments that you've had in leading in Washington, D.C. and doing what you're doing? Well, I mean, I think anytime you have a big, you know, legislative victory, you get something passed and acted into law, it's a big deal. I know for people in western South Dakota, in my very first year in the Senate, uh, Ellsworth Air Force Base got put on the base closure list. Um, and I know the day that they announced it was coming off, um, we had worked really hard to make that happen. That was a, a really a, a very, you know, a highlight for sure in terms of the work that we do here. Uh, I have three offices in South Dakota, one in Rapid City, who are daily responding to the concerns that people have. You know, we might have, for example, an opportunity to help a, a loving couple in South Dakota adopt a child from another part of the world. And, you know, sometimes they have to fight the other government, sometimes they have to fight our government. And our office can get involved to help facilitate that and, uh, and bring a child who, you know, into a loving family here in South Dakota. So little things like that really, really um, are probably the most fulfilling part of the job. I mean, it's, and I, I say that with all due respect to the, to the stuff that we deal with here, but it's just generally, it's kind of day-to-day -day things where you're actually doing things that matter in people's lives. We have a lot of young leaders in our church, and so, so they're really uh, curious to know what to learn, what's, what's out there. I'm, I'm curious, what, what's a leadership lesson you've learned or, or just something significant that you've learned while being in the role that you're in? You know, that's a, that's a good question and it's a big question and you talk about leadership and I've had the opportunity over the years that I've been in, in public life to observe a lot of different types of leadership styles and that sort of thing. But I think there are a few things that, you know, for sure stand out. One is there's no greater power than the power of example. Uh, you know, leadership is as leadership does. You have to be able to, 
to stand in there and if you say one thing and do something else, uh, people figure that out pretty quickly. And so consistency in word and action is really important. And I think setting, um, you know, the, the sort of setting the goals and, and, uh, and laying out a vision is really important. People respond to that and they want to know that what they're doing every day matters and makes a difference. And I think it's up for leaders to figure out ways to communicate and convey to the people that they're, that they're leading, um, you know, why, uh, why it's important to get up every morning and come in and, and hustle and try and get the job done. Uh, I've got a list of either or questions. I don't know if you've ever done this where I ask you, it's one of two options and you choose whatever you prefer. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Uh, both. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a good one. Do you prefer to call someone or text someone? Um, I prefer, I, I still am old fashioned. Okay. I still think you, you, you lose so much in communication in a text. I, there's, there's no substitute for a personal contact. Well, thank you for your time. We, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man. Pastor, thanks. Good to be with you. Thank you thank for you. coming and, yeah. and sitting down just for a few moments. And best to your congregation. Blessings on you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's what's important to Senator Thune. You heard some of that stuff. So, and, and I imagine you've already had the conversations, at least with someone that's close to you, or maybe you don't like them, but what's important to our, our presidential candidates? Yeah, we'll go there about what, what you think about them and, and, and their, your, whether it's a character thing or a policy issue. But my guess is you've asked about what's important or talked about it. So let me turn it on you. <laughs> I want you thinking internally here. What's most important to you? Like if you actually had to create a platform, I'm not saying you got to run for office, but if you were to create a platform, if you were to say, hey, all right, here's, here's what I'm all about, when, to help you get to what's most important about, uh, what makes you daydream? What makes you process in a moment where you're just thinking about it and thinking, oh, that would be great, I wish, and, and that's just super important to you. What are you willing to fight for? Like, literally, when it comes down to it, you would stand your ground and say, no way, or this must be the way. That will help you discover what's important to you. So as you're thinking about what's important to you, I thought I would tell you what other people think is important to you. Now, now I, I had to do some research on this, and if you don't know this, there's a website that preps international students for when they come over to the United States of America, and it's a website that literally preps them like, hey, they're weird over there, so you gotta be ready for this. And on this website, is, hey, here's the values, here's what's important to Americans. So you can't really debate what I'm about to tell you. It's, it's their perception, whether you like it or not. It's their perception of you and I as they prepare to come over and be exchange students. So, so here's the list. This is the list. This is what folks in, in various countries around the world, as they send their children over here to study this is what they say about you and I. Individuality is a value or is important to us. The, the fact that, that, that independent kind of behavior. Privacy, that you get to select and, and be aware of what is public and what is not. Equality. Now, some of us thought, well, we thought we were on the upward swing, but if, if recent history gives us any indication, maybe we aren't where we thought we were even though it's perceived as a value of ours. Time. Now, if, if, if you're so American, you're like, yeah, that's a, that's a good value. 
you got to know that if you were to travel the world, time is not prime. It's, it's not the number one thing. In fact, there are places on this globe that the meeting starts when everyone shows up. And that's it. Some of you are like, that sounds like South Dakota. Don't, just keep on. <laughs> Informal. And I love this one. I mean, thank you for not making me wear a stinking tie all the time. But, but it appears as though the globe sees us as a, as a group who just values, like, really wear what you want to wear. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Achievement. That, that, that each day, each month, whatever, and if you dive into this a little bit more, they even articulated that we're competitive. Those of you who like football. Uh, uh, assertive. Assertive if you're like, well, what do they mean? It described this. Most countries think that you and I have an opinion. Totally don't understand it. And then progressive. That was talking about that, that Americans have a tendency to value change and the future over tradition. Now, like I told you, you can't argue with this because you didn't make the list. This is other people's perceptions of you and I. You're like, well, that's not me. Well, whatever. Or maybe it is you. Maybe you're offended by this. I don't know where you're at on it. But when I ask you about what is most important to you, I have to put in front of you what other people think is most important to you. Because when we talk about platform, when we talk about presidential races, when we talk about politics, it gets into dangerous territory. Because you and I begin to formulate things in our brains and we have conversations that are not the healthiest thing to have. So let's take this a step even more personal. There's been research done on you and I. Again, you're like, I don't want this like self-assessment. Well, you're here. So there's been surveys done about what you and I think should be most important to a president. And I have that list for you. <laughs> Four things. And it's depressing. Integrity. If you were to look in your brain, according to surveys that people have filled out, you and I want a president that has integrity. See, we're already like, oh no. You and I want a president that's committed, committed to maybe the country, committed to problem solving, committed to, to solving like literally global issues as well. It appears you and I want authenticity in that president. And then the kicker, uh, you and I want a self-controlled president. Do we need to have a moment? Just because this is the list. I know many of us have talked about who we're going to vote for and how that's going to work, and you don't like the candidates or this or that. But you and I have looked at lists like this, and, and now we're like, well, I wish that were the case. And, and the reality is, is that's a difficult list to find in our candidate. And it begins to make you and I think, listen, that they're a problem, and, and, and they're the only problem. In fact, the, the, the toxic part of politics nowadays is it's taken focus off of you and I and placed it on people that you and I don't know. And there's danger in that. Like the conversation that you and I have to have today, you may not have expected or liked. See, what politics does and the negative part of it is it makes you and I try to live vicariously through other people, holding other people to different standards than what you and I will live. And so we have to have that combo today. So I'll uh, give you a warning. 
If you evaluate how a president should lead, you better evaluate how you should lead. See, we're going to get into this, okay? And don't worry. if you, Some of you are waiting for the meat of this. And this series, we're going to talk about our rights and the Constitution and government spending and Republicans and Democrats and the Sweet Tea Party and whatever, whatever parties are out there. I just made that up. Uh, we're going to get at that, okay? We're going to get at that. But there is a danger at getting at that too soon. If you don't know anything about conversations, there are conversations that there's a time for it. And usually we jump ahead. So I want you to think about what's important to you. I want you to think about what you find to be absolutely most important, what you will fight for. And by the way, there's a danger in this. I'm not talking about good intentions. In fact, let me show you. There's good intentions versus core values. I'm talking about what do you hold as most valuable? What is at the core? What are you willing to fight for, daydream about, think about, bend your life toward, and not the good intentions, not what do you hope for or think about in the sense of you do nothing about. And there's a danger in this kind of stuff because many of us, we think we're living by our core values and we have nothing to back that up with. They're actually just good intentions. And we live in a good intention kind of culture where you get trophies for just participating. You get thumbs up for just being available and there. And many of us think that we're standing on something strong and we're not. They're just good intentions. And good intentions don't change the world to make it a better place. In fact, the Bible even gives us some warnings on this. James tells us, do not merely listen to the word. Don't just listen. Don't just process. Don't just let your brain do some brilliant things up there. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And that's what you and I are like, yeah. In fact, some of you have yelled at the TV screen already. Like, do what you're saying you're going to do. And then we hear another report about this or that. And you're like, this is horrible. And to be very, very open with you, I watched the last debate. I don't know if any of you watched it. The last presidential debate, uh, I did not subject my kids to it. Do not worry. In fact, the kids and Katie were upstairs having fun, and I just felt like I would sit on the couch and watch this because I got to tell you, I'm a bit of an optimist still. There's still a little glimmer of hope in me. I'm like, all right, both of these folks need to own some stuff. I'm going to see if they own it. The question would get asked, I'd be like, ah, oh, that's, that's the emotions I'm going through, right? You're like, it's set up, it's set up. Oh, why did you do that? And that's what we do in this political season. We expect people to be honest, to have integrity, to exhibit self-control. And we get mad when they don't, right? The problem with that is it diverts the most important perspective. So here's how this goes. I'm watching the debate feeling some pretty mean words and words I will not share with you about what's going on on the screen and having these opinions form in my head and the optimism is going away. And then God kind of taps me on the shoulder, not literally, but I really had this kind of conversation with God in the midst of this. And I tell him, like, God, what do we do? They're horrible people. <laughs> and... As God usually does with me, he's like, David, you don't do everything you say should be done. 
And I'm like, I don't really want to talk about that right now. <laughs> those, those two people are the ones where... But the conversation went to a place just between me and God going, wow, I got distracted. I got distracted in the midst of this political conversation. And, and many of us think that our hope and lives and the church and all of God rests on America being something that I don't know, whatever you want it to be. And it's distracting because there are many of us who are giving far more attention to two people you don't even know and less attention to our own souls. And God messed with me on this. And in fact, he didn't just dap me on the shoulder. It was a bit of a punch because he brought me to this in Matthew. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I hate the word hypocrite. I have rarely met a hypocrite that would call themselves a hypocrite. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. This is not complimentary. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And Jesus is pressing at them. If you don't know the context behind this, they, they literally would go to the tombstones each year and scrub them down. Can you imagine, like, what, all day long? They, and, and to them, death was extremely unclean. And they would scrub those things down. Their intention was so that they wouldn't accidentally walk in, into a cemetery because it was so unclean. They had to make sure it was super visible. They didn't have street lights, right? And so they want to make sure that, and Jesus uses it saying, hey, many of us are so consumed on what's going on the outside, or let me, let me have a little bit of liberty here, or concerned about what other people are doing, or not doing and neglecting what's happening internally. Many of us have opinions. In fact, let's take a test. If those of you like tests, I'll give you a test. It's easy. Many of us have opinions. In fact, if I said, who has an opinion? Almost every one of us would check mark. Mm, got one. Can I share it now, David? Uh, and we would, we, would, we would lock that one in. I've not met anyone who's like, yeah, I don't have any opinions. Really, I'm just, no, you do. You do. But can you check that other one? Behaviors that back up your opinions? See, many of us are aware of how our candidate can't back it up. But how about you? And I know that gets real personal. You're like, but I don't want to talk about me. But do you understand the danger in that? Is that whether you would call yourself that, and I'm not projecting that on you, but I'm going to tell you, I have been a hypocrite before more often than I would ever like to admit. Where I have held other people to higher standards demanded certain behavior from certain people and not demanded the same of myself. So what do, we, what do we do with this? If you don't like the candidates and you think all hope is gone, it's not. Do you understand there was hope before the United States was ever formed? And there will be hope if there is ever an after. Listen, you and I got to pause the political conversation and have a personal conversation. So here we go, whether you like this or not. Prove your platform before you require it of anyone else. If you want to have a grown-up conversation, we're going to have it. Prove your platform before you start demanding and criticizing other people because they haven't followed through, done what they're supposed to do. Every one of us is guilty. Now, by the way, some of you are like, 
wait a minute, I don't like this. And, and, and we think that we can't have the same conversation on, on two scenarios. See, this is what we do in culture. We blame shift, don't we? Where someone says, hey, you did this. Yeah, but they did that. Look at what they did. Look what they did. See, you and I can have a conversation, a healthy one, about our candidates while also doing a bit of a self-examination of our own souls. And we need to have what, a moment of what I call scale truth. <laughs> that we have this in our kitchen. It doesn't really do anything but look good. Uh, my wife wanted it in the kitchen, and she got it in the kitchen. That's fine with me. Uh, I don't believe it's accurate, but who cares? <laughs> but see, you know what's interesting about scales? If, if put together correctly, <laughs> they'll tell you something you may not want to know. That's why some of you, you got your favorite scale, which when you think about it, that's weird because supposedly <laughs> scales are just supposed to tell the truth. Scale, some of you, that's why you, you like the one you got at home, but the doctor's one, it's messed up. It's broken and they need to fix it. <laughs> You're like, I'm paying good money to be here and so fix your scale because it's wrong. See, here's the reality. You and I often don't like the truth about ourselves. I mean, come on, right? We, we, we don't often like when someone tells us truth that, is, that creates a little bit of change. That, that means we might have to adjust a bit or get healthier. And, and we need a little bit in this political conversation where, where we wonder what's true, what's not. And we need some scaled truth. And so let me tell you about what, what you think is most important. And this is not what you think is good intentions. This is how we fight good intentions. The scale that measures your values is behavior not intentions. If you want to know what you really believe, you will look at your behaviors as the scale that tells you the truth. If you really think people matter, as in anyone and everyone, your behavior will prove it. If you think the government should spend money in a certain way, you do. See, it's our behavior that we should press in on. It's our behavior that we should say, okay, David, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want my, my actions and my words to be completely contradictory. I want it to, want it to be in, in unity. So you and I need to figure out how to lock in our core values. And to where we don't have to berate ourselves going, yeah, I haven't been living in the way I should. I haven't been standing on my core values. So I want to teach, just in short form, how to create Good core values. How to lock in what is truly important and to take your life and model it out. So I'll give you four things to press into your life. First one, choose your source. If you're going to create what's most important to you, if you're going to lock in and make sure that what's most important is good and healthy, and, and you need to look at where are you getting that from, where do you get your standards, your values, what's, what's super important to you? Where do you get it from? Maybe it's grandma. <laughs> Maybe it's just what you learned from grandma, and then what she did was awesome. She, she lived a long life and a happy life, and so you've, you've used her as your primary only source. Some of us just use religion blindly. Some of us use culture, and whatever culture says, that's your source. You, you need to choose your source, because if your source is temporary and broken or unhealthy that will lead to unhealthy values. Let me show you some of the Bible that helps us unpack this a little bit more. Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
The word love here is the same word that we use in weddings. In other words, don't love the world like you love your spouse. That unconquerable desire to just do good for it, to be a part of it. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Whoever does the will of God, whoever has God as the source of their value system, can live forever. But I want to press in something. The world and its desires pass away. Have you used something that passes away as your system, your source? This past week, I spent some time with a, with a friend of mine. And I don't use that term lightly. I went over to see him at his house. I've got to tell you, there's multiple reasons to go see him at his house. One, I, I wanted to see him, and we hadn't talked for a while. The second was to talk about his funeral. He has terminal cancer. He has survived it longer than any of the doctors told him he would. But uh, it appears that truly his last days are upon him. So we sat at his kitchen table. His wife made some incredible coffee cake. And we talked about life and death. We talked about God and values. We cried together. We even hugged. <laughs> it's an incredible special moment for me. I got to tell you that. Special moment. So we got done with all the serious talk, and I'm about ready to go. And he's like, hey, you want to see something? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, it's in the garage. I was like, yes, I do. Whatever's in the garage is good. <laughs> and so... He feebly got up, and we went out into the garage, and <laughs> there in the garage was a 1968 Camaro that is beautiful. <laughs> we turned the key. It roared like a lion. And I know some of you do not understand this experience, and some of you do, and you know how holy this is. Okay, I'm exaggerating. And yeah, that's me in the car. And yeah, I did ask, can I drive this beautiful thing? So he drove a little bit, then I hopped in and, and, and drove the speed limit, followed all of the laws for everyone who holds those. Okay, so we did, we did everything legal. I pulled it into his garage for him. We just sat in the car for a second. That's what guys do. Sorry, I'm not trying to be sexist, but we just sat there. And we're like, this is amazing. Turned it off. Got out of the vehicle. I walked over by him. And we just stood kind of shoulder to shoulder looking at it. And uh, I was entranced. It's like, this is an amazing vehicle. And the man that only has days maybe to live, made sure that I understood. He said, David, this doesn't mean anything. 
He's like, this is not going with me when I go. He said, we're going to auction it off. And he goes, I, I am grateful to God for letting me enjoy this toy. He goes, but it, it's not what life is about. And it was one, another one of those moments. God's saying, David, make sure you're coming from the right source. And when the Bible unfolds for you and I, that this world is extremely attractive. That doesn't make the things in this world bad, by the way. If you can own a 68 Camaro, do it. But do not find your value from it. Do not see it as the source of joy. So when I tell you to formulate your core values, what's important, start with the right source. And it is not some thing that you can acquire. It is not where you live. It's not a certain number in your bank account. It is not a religion. I would tell you the best source is the will of God who made you. And so we as a church, just to give you an example, we wanted to establish our core values. Now, we, there's a lot of ways to do this that once a denomination can just tell you, and you like, okay. Uh, or you, uh, you can get a group together, a committee. Yay, committees. Mm -mm. And, and, and you can come up with something. What we decided to do was, well, what's the source? Where do we find truth? So we went to the Bible, and we found a story that Jesus told called the prodigal son. And that became our source. You get to choose your source. How incredible is that that God lets us choose our source? But I want to choose a source that just doesn't float away. Choose your source. And choose it wisely. Because your values come from your source. Let me show you the next one. Clarify what's important. Clarify it. And if you're like, this is a stage where you, after you've picked your, your, your actual lockdown source, you, this is where you write it out. This is where you're like, okay, okay, if we're going to lean on God, then what are the things we're going to write down? If you're wondering, like, how many do we write down? How many values? Well, some of you will write down 10 or 20. Good luck remembering those. We as a church, we have three. Sure, you could be smart and intelligent and come up with more, but we think this way. Let's lock in three, and when we master those, we'll move on. So there's three, and, and we clarified that. This church, we believe anyone and everyone is important and valuable. So if you believe that anyone and everyone is, is welcome and, and, and valuable, unconditional love. And the unconditional part is not always fun. Unconditional love. And we're like, well, you can say you love someone, and you can lie about it. So, so another one of our values is back up the love with irrational generosity. And again, we're just extracting these from a story Jesus told. And then when you think the story's over, you're like, oh, yay, and, and the credits are rolling. There's a, there's a part of the bottom where it just shows that people who don't know who Jesus is, oh, God cares a lot about them. And churches should not be just focused on who's in their location in their building. And if you want to know where did our core values come from there, that's how that happened. So that's your role. If you got roommates or family, you sit at the table, you choose your source, and then you start writing, and you're going to have to hone in the 30 that are going to come on that paper. Clarify what's important, because if it's not clear, you won't do it. 
Now, here's the one that's not so fun. Change your lifestyle. (laughs) See, if you establish a source and then you draft your values, you're going to have to change how you live to accomplish those values. Let me help some of us. If anyone and everyone is valuable and unconditional love is a value, that means whether a person hurts you or not, whether you agree politically. Can you imagine that? You actually offer them love. Neighbors that used to be friends found out they're voting for different people and they don't speak anymore. See, your lifestyle will have to change. You'll have to treat people differently. Do you know that there are fountain springers who, in order to sponsor a kid, don't have cable? Some of us are like, oh my. Like there are fountain springers who don't own a certain vehicle so they can give to the church. That can offend you or it can inspire you to understand that your values will cause you to change your lifestyle. And see, this is the difference. I think this is the deal breaker for many of us. Like change my lifestyle? Like I can't have everything that I want and dreamt of and also live with my core values? Probably not. And then the last one. Check yourself daily. Oh, that doesn't resonate. Let me reword that. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Is that better? Just making it more relevant. See, see, so you got to check this each day. You actually have to check it. You actually have to look at what you did and figure out if you did what you said you do. You and I are not good enough to have just these good intentions and values and expect them to just happen. You have to look at it. Can you imagine, listen to this, if families would gather each night or roommates would gather each night and you'd have to prove yourself, not in a judgmental way, but where you would go around and say, all right, here's our values. Tell me how you did it today. Can you imagine a world where people would do that? Can you imagine a church that would do that? See, I think many of us want the government to audit itself differently, but we're unwilling to audit our own selves. And one of the most profound things we can do in life is not to be brilliant or rich or to get everything we want. It's to audit our behavior of the day. And just simply saying, did I do what I say is important? Before we can dive into analyzing the government and wondering if the world is imploding and, and is all hope gone. What you and I can do is press into our own lives. And the standards that we're holding Hillary and Donald and whoever to, what if you and I make sure before we go there that we are doing that? I'll tell you what, this church, we choose to do our very best to not be hypocrites. There are plenty of those on the globe. I don't want us to be one. And so, if you'll take those four things and press them into your life in whatever season of life that you're in, I think you and I can avoid tanking as hypocrites. And I think we can actually show people who Jesus is. So let me pray for you. God, thanks for letting us gather. Thanks for the privilege of even getting to breathe and live today. God, I'm, I'm really sorry 
for the moments that I am a hypocrite. I think some of my family here might feel the same. We don't want to be. We don't want to be hypocrites. God, I pray that you will prompt us in the moments that we are saying stuff we aren't willing to do. Remind us that that's not healthy, that's not good. God, I just want to thank you for doing what you say you'll do. Thanks for saving us. Thanks for providing and taking care of us. God, in this season we are in as Americans, God, may you remind us that it's our lives, our decisions, our choices that we get to make ourselves to glorify and honor you. Help us to do so. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.